you know, night one, you just feel like you let, you think about the people that you let down. But most importantly, it's all about building and strengthening yourself. You know, there's it's no way to describe, you know, that feeling. You know, I think it's a personal feeling. It's something that if you don't go through it, you never know. And the emotions really run deep. You know, whether it was night one or night, you know, 300, they were all the same. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 14 years, 500 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. I've wanted to have this week's guest join me on Sports Business Radio for several years now. He's authoring one of the great comeback stories we've seen in recent sports history. Former NFL quarterback Michael Vick starred at Virginia Tech, was the number one pick in the 2001 NFL draft by the Atlanta Falcons, became the most exciting player in the NFL, and had endorsement deals with Nike and other blue chip companies that brought him $25 million per year, making him one of the highest paid athletes in sports. Vic was on top of the world, but then he lost it all, including his freedom. He went to prison in 2007 for his role in the Bad News Kennels dogfighting investigation. The NFL suspended him indefinitely without pay for violating its player conduct policy. Vic spent 554 nights in prison. When he got out of prison, he was a changed man. He was given a second chance by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and went on to play for the Philadelphia Eagles, New York Jets, and Pittsburgh Steelers before retiring from the league in 2017. He made promises to save the lives of more animals than he hurt when he got out of prison. He's kept his promise by working with organizations like the Humane Society, and he's even impacted a federal law that makes it a crime to attend an organized animal fight. Vic has found success as an NFL analyst for Fox Sports, where he's part of the network's pregame coverage every NFL Sunday. I met Michael Vick in person on May 22 at the Sports PR Summit in New York City. He participated in a featured conversation at our event with Rick Buecher, and our attendees found him to be honest, reflective, and insightful. I asked him to join me on Sports Business Radio to discuss his career, what he's learned from his mistakes, and how he's made the most of his second chance. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Michael Vick. My guest is Michael Vick. He's former NFL quarterback. He played 13 seasons for the Atlanta Falcons, Philadelphia Eagles, New York Jets, and Pittsburgh Steelers, four-time Pro Bowler. He holds the record for most career rushing yards by an NFL quarterback and most rushing yards by a quarterback in a season. He's currently an NFL analyst for Fox Sports. He's also heavily involved with the American Flag Football League and Alliance of American Football. He's developed his own line of clothing, V7 Clothing. It's available at v7clothing.com. And he's soon going to be relaunching the Team Vic Foundation. Follow him on Twitter at Michael Vic and on Instagram at Mike Vic. Mike, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for participating at the Sports PR Summit, uh, May 22nd at the Players Tribune. I got to tell you, I, I think I told you when you walked off stage, you're someone I had wanted at our event for a long time. And 
you know, your candor, your honesty, your ability to reflect on your past mistakes was so compelling with our room of executives from across the sports world. How did you come to the decision to own your past instead of trying to make excuses for past mistakes? Well, I think in my case, I, you know, it was something that I lived out, um, you know, going through and most of the things that I went through, you know, when you're going through that moment, you you don't pay attention to what it's going to be like, you know, um, you know, when it's all said and done. You know, the only thing you think about is living in now and trying to, you know, find a way to, to, to make it all right. So, you know, it's not all about making amends. It's about, you know, becoming, you know, being at peace with yourself. Um, so, you know, I, I've, you know, I've learned to accept it. You know, I learned to deal with it, learn to talk about it. And I think, you know, more importantly, just being able to give insight, um, you know, in my life and, and, you know, the right things that I did, the wrong things that I, I did and things that could have been done better. Um, you know, just try to, you know, put it all in perspective. So the next person who, you know, you know read my book or, you know, follow my story or, or you know, Google me, you know, have more insight and, and see the progression, you know, over the years. Well, I have a lot of respect for you. We'll come back to some of that in a minute, but I want to go back to when you were growing up in Virginia. The story I heard is that until you were around 11 years old, you were a wide receiver, and then you decided that, you know, I guess you were playing pickup games and they needed a QB, and and you stepped in as QB. Is that the first time you played quarterback around 11 years old? Yeah, I shuffled around a little bit. Um, You know, and and when you're young, you get thrown in in different positions and in different spots and you don't understand why. But I learned to embrace it. So I started out as a running back and then was a receiver for about two years. And then the day came when one of our star quarterbacks didn't show up. And like I said, at the summit, I looked around and didn't see anybody else who could take on that responsibility. So I put my hand up and not knowing that it would be, it would be a lifelong journey, you know, in, in my sports career you know, playing a position and having to learn it. You know, it was all about fun, you know, just having fun at the time and, and figuring out what the position was all about. But as I grew older, I just continued to get better and better each and every year. And uh, once I got to high school, uh, I had a quarterback battle, won that quarterback battle uh, as a freshman. And, you know, the rest was history. So you chose to go to Virginia Tech for college, Obviously, you had a really amazing high school career, so you were you were pretty heavily recruited. But you know, a few things about going to Virginia Tech. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were the first person at that point that received a scholarship to go to college in your family, right? Yeah, absolutely. My uncle uh, had got a scholarship, um, partial scholarship, to Elon University in uh, 1982, and. Eventually, he ended up leaving school because uh, our family was struggling, and he had to come home and work and, and help the family out. Um, so, yeah, I was the first. Um, my aunt graduated from uh, VCU, and, you know, she's very successful in, in her own right. But um, for me to get a full scholarship, you know, go to Virginia Tech, you know, was a lifelong dream. And, you know, I always wanted to go to the big schools, you know, the Florida State, the Notre, Dame, Notre Dames. Um, LSU's and, and USC's, but you know somehow, some way, Virginia Tech won me over. And I won't say I had a stellar high school career. I thought it was average, above average. 
Um, but I always knew, you know, once I got surrounded by some talent, that my real talent would show. Um, and that's what Coach Bingham brung out. Um, they gave me the liberty to do whatever I needed to do at the at the quarterback position to be successful, um, not only for myself, but for the team. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you were really a unicorn, so to speak. As far Like, we'd yeah. seen Randall Cunningham. We'd seen some people who were kind of like you, but we never really saw anyone who was like you where – I thought, Michael, any time you got out of the field, you were not only the best quarterback on the field, you were the best running back, you were the best athlete on the field, and it seemed like Frank Beamer really let you do your thing and maximized your talents. Yeah, and in the process of being recruited, as I studied the offenses, even though I didn't know exactly what I was looking at, I seen Jim Drunkenmill and Al Clark do things that I knew I could do. Um, knowing that the college level would be a lot faster, um, I knew I just had to gain weight and, you know, become more cerebral at the position. Um, it, it took more, it took a lot of time. Um, it, it didn't happen overnight. It was about a six month process, but my coach kept hammering, hammering me and, and, you know, making me come to the film room, making me study, uh, making me travel with the team. So I respect the journey. I respect, you know, the grind. Um, going from not knowing to knowing, you know, most of everything that, you know, I needed to know in order to move the chains week in and week out. So, you know, it, it was gratifying to look back and, and see, you know, just the progress that was made, you know, and the hard work and, and the push from the coaches. Well, and I think your freshman year, regular season, weren't you guys 11 or no? I mean, that's a pretty good start to your college career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, just, you know, just to be thrown in the fire uh, um, early and, you know, knowing that the, the collegiate game is really, really tough. I didn't know if I was going to be able to, you know, thrive or survive. So, you know, just in, in everyday progress and getting better every day, more study. I mean, you look up at the end of the year and you're 11-0 and all, you're going to the national championship. It's like a dream come true. And uh, even though we didn't win the game, just – you know, having an opportunity to plan that game and, and, you know, please our fans, you know, meant more to me than anything. So someone like yourself, who's so athletically gifted, I know you put your time in studying the plays and the film room, but when things break down on a play, how much do you rely on just, I'm Michael Vick, I'm faster than everyone on this field, I have a cannon for an arm, I can just get creative and make things happen? You know, sometimes when you're talented, you think you can do it all. But, you know, in in the, in the NFL and in college, you have to play within structure. So nothing can be predetermined. Um, you can have all the physical gifts, but, you know, you have to play within the realm of the offense. And, you know, I, I try to ex- explain that uh, to a lot of young kids because they may watch me and say, okay, on this play, it looked like he just got the ball from the center and, and just took off running. But that's not the case, you know. It was it was going through my reads and then you know let my instincts take over. So I think without there listening to this interview or watching a professional quarterback and if he's mobile and can do a lot, then they need they need to learn the system first and allow their instincts to take over because that's that's what makes you a natural. So at your pro day workout, you run the forty yard dash in four point three three. 
Uh, I guess you've run it in as low as 4.25, fastest ever for an NFL quarterback. You were selected number one by the Atlanta Falcons in 2001, first African-American quarterback to be taken with the top pick. When you get to the NFL, Michael, you just talked about you know doing your homework and everything at the collegiate level, but for me, when I watched you your first year in Atlanta and thereafter, it seemed to me like you were able to pick up the speed of the game and keep up with that once you got to the NFL. It wasn't overwhelming for you. Yeah, well, my rookie year was tough. Um, I played in a couple of games, didn't play well. Um, spot played a little bit when Chris Chandler went down. Um, but the second year, 2002, was the year that I felt like I really blossomed. Uh, I was able to get all the reps in, in the spring and OTAs all the reps in mini camp, training camp, and just seeing a big difference um, in my confidence. So I think in everything, it's, it's all about, you know, you believing in yourself and, you know, if there's any doubt, then, um, you know, it, it stops the progress of, of what you can do. So, you know, the, the goal was to, you know, learn as much as I could. Uh, I credit Dan Reeves because he brought Steve Young in uh, for two days to work with me. Um, just to sit down and talk and pick his brain and, and, and learn more about the game. And, and I think that's what really uh, got me over the hump. And both lefties, that, too. Yeah, both lefties. Uh, offenses were similar. Um, Dan, you know, did a lot of improv as far as, you know, calling plays from the sideline and creating um, plays for me. Uh, different than what Steve did, but it was some similarities and. We was able to gel that all together and and really put together offense that made us successful in 2002. Let's go back to 2001. So you're taken number one by the Falcons. You know, I've talked to a lot of athletes on this show over the years, but I want to hear your answer to this. You grew up in Virginia. You didn't come from a wealthy family, but now you're the number one pick and you come into millions of dollars. Six years, $62 million contract. When you come into that kind of money after not having it, how do you handle that? Because it's not easy for a lot of people. Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to explain, too, because everybody just don't wake up and and sign a contract for, you know, five years and whatever, um, up to millions it may be. Um, You know, I, I think it's all about learning. Like, I knew nothing about taxes. Um, I knew nothing about investing. I knew nothing about having a financial advisor. And those are things that we didn't, we didn't, we don't come up learning about. Uh, they don't teach us that in school. Um, we spend more time, um, you know, taking, you know, quizzes and, and being drilled on things that, um, you know, we might not be ready for. And, and it all depends on, on the path you take and, and, you know, what profession you try to pursue. You know, in my case, it was football and, and you know, it consisted of having a, tons of money um, really, really fast. And um, just getting it abruptly like that, I, I you know, I, I didn't blow a lot of money. I was really smart um, as far as, um, you know, thinking long term and not wanting to um, overdo it. You know, the minute I signed my first contract and, and once me and my family went through the numbers, I instantly knew that a second contract was going to be needed for longevity um, to live the way that I wanted to live for, you know, the remaining of my life. And, um, you know, just knowing that, you know, the duration is is, is what's most important. 
uh, you know, I really buckled down and tried to learn as much as I could. But, you know, it's unfortunate that we don't. I think the NFL does a great job of um, providing seminars and, and workshops for guys um, who don't have the knowledge about, you know, money and how to spend it and how to save it. Um, they really give you a guideline that you can follow that can help you, you know, in the process. So, yeah, they do their rookie orientation, but I guess it sounds like your advice to some young athletes who come into money is kind of what you said at Sports PR Summit. Surround yourself with a team of people who are the experts and, and who can help you in those areas where you may need some help, right? Yeah, you got to surround yourself with the right people, um, people who know way more than you. Um, and that don't necessarily make you... Um, you know, incompetent. You know, it's it's a learning process. It actually, it's actually uh, better for you and and your understanding. Um, when you surround yourself with smart people, you become smarter as well. And you don't have to always get the credit for everything. It, it, you know, you know they have um, you know certain abilities and capabilities to do things uh, that make them great in their own right. And you know, it comes around full circle. So you know. That's the most important thing, and it's hard because you you have to build trust in people. And you know, if you can build that trust, you know, find two or three, you know, uh, people in your life that you know you can call on anytime. You can ask a question without feeling like you you know you sounded dumb or you just don't know. You know, and you put your pride to the side, then you know that's that's growth. That's how that's how you make it. You know, in any profession, I think. No, I totally agree. And, and, but the hard thing is, is, is trying to figure out who you can trust. Like I see a lot of athletes who gravitate towards family members to help them with things because they can trust them. But then those family members may not have the education or skills in a certain area, like accounting or tax yeah. law or, or things like that. So yeah. that's the tough thing. Yeah. And, and you're probably looking at, you know, 10%. You know, the athletes who, who go pro, who, you know, come from families and backgrounds who have that knowledge, um, you know, and, and it's, it's not to use it as an excuse. You know, it's just the way the world is, and it's just, you know, what some people are, are born into. But, you know, I think that's, you know, what makes this world so great. You know, you, you have people in place who, who really care. And listen, it's not for you to know everything because you'll never know it all. The minute you start to think that you know it all is the minute that, you know, things will, you know, take a turn for the worse. So, you know, I think you always got to approach it with with the open mind and, and you know, not always use family because sometimes that can be, you know, some of the worst case scenarios. But, you know, I think over time as, as you grow as as a person, you know, you learn more, you know, and I, I'm, I'm the type of guy I, I look at my – my career and where I'm at now and saying if I could go back and, and be the person that I am now 10 years ago when I first got in the league then you, know, you would have to look out um, because I was you know it, it was the sky would be the limit you know so I just try to you know move forward and, and not look not look back everything is hindsight and, and um, you know just try to educate as many kids as I can because you know they're going to be in the same positions that, that I'm in um, you know, 10, 12 years from now. 
No, but I wonder, and you kind of talked about this at the event. You know, if you didn't go through what you've gone through, you spent 554 nights in prison, and you've gone through some things that I think have made you a better person. And again, I commend you, Michael, because you have made the most of your second chance. You've been candid. You've been honest. You've helped people since you've gotten out of prison. But when you were in prison that first night, I mean, here's a guy, you were on top of the world in the NFL. You had endorsement deals with Nike. When you were in prison night one and you're laying in bed, what's going through your mind? You know, night one, you just feel like you let, you think about the people that you let down. Um, but most importantly, it's all about building and strengthening yourself. You know, there's, it's no way to describe, um, you know, that feeling. Um, you know, I think it's a personal feeling. It's something that if you don't go through it, you never know. Um, and, and the mo- emotions really run deep. Um, so, you know, whether it was night one or night, you know, 300, they were all the same. Um, it's just that, you know, when, you know, when I was 10 months in, I was just a stronger person. Um, I'm not saying that I was, you know, built for, um, the duration of my sentence, but, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a very um, a strong person, you know, mentally and physically. So, you know, I know how to adjust. I was able to adapt, but man, the the pain and that you know I inflicted not only on myself but on my family probably um, is what you know kind of helped me deteriorate in, in in so many ways. Um, so, but I had to I had to stay strong. I had to you know, walk around, even though, you know, I was down on the inside, I had to have a smile on my face each and every day. Um, and that's just, this, you know, create positive energy. And so I felt that, and, you know, the people around me helped me. But, yeah, man, it's, it's no joke. You know, I don't wish that on anybody, and um, especially coming, you know, from what I came from, you know. So that's what made it even more difficult. Yeah, again, I have such respect for you. I know there were a few people that were a big part of your life when you got out and of making sure that you got that second chance to come back to the NFL and and to build your life again. And, you know, I heard you talk at Sports PR Summit about Roger Goodell, Tony Dungy, and Andy Reid. Maybe you can just talk for a couple of minutes about what each of them meant to your road back to redemption that you are experiencing now. Well, just to sum it up, um, I think for each individual guy, I can tell you about five or six different things that they did. Uh, I won't bore you, you know, or the audience with that. But just in, a, in a nutshell, it was it was a collective effort, um, and at the end of the day, I had to be all in uh, and committed. Um, the things that I promised um, when I visited Tony um, while incarcerated, um, I had to make good on those promises. Uh, I didn't see Roger until I came home. Um, you know, Arthur Blank flew out to my house in, in Hampton, Virginia. Uh, we sat and talked. Uh, my agent, uh, Joe Siegel, uh, he was there, uh, just playing point guard, you know, trying to, you know, round everybody and get everybody together. Um, just so we can all be on the same page. And, you know, they all told me, you know, you got one shot and, and that's it, you know, sticking our neck out for you. Um, don't let us down. And, there still were some situations that happened where, you know, it wasn't all good, and they still stuck by me through it all. Um, not not to say that, you know, my excuses wasn't valid, 
um, because in some situations I I was still young, and you know I wasn't um, you know making the right decision. Still didn't have the right people around me, and it took one more incident to happen for me to really change. And um, you know once I once I did that, once I committed to them, it was no turning back. Once Andy grabbed me and brought me to Philly, uh, I had to be a hundred percent committed to him and. and you know, his philosophy to the franchise and to my role on the team. So Roger was constantly checking in. Um, my agent, he was calling, you know, three or four times a week. Uh, Coach Dungey, he kind of let me, you know, go off and do my thing. He didn't, you know, he didn't bother me. My word was my word, and he trusted me. And uh, I think just knowing that I couldn't let those guys down, you know, kept me grounded and kept me focused. I want to take a minute and tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just use the SeatGeek app to buy tickets for sporting events and concerts that I go to with my daughter. We love going to basketball games, Major League Baseball games. We've gone to the Taylor Swift and Justin Timberlake concerts, and it's great to use the SeatGeek app to buy all of our tickets. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SBR today. That's promo code SBR, as in Sports Business Radio, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. One of the things you did that sent a huge message to not only them, but to a lot of people is, so you get out and you're going through bankruptcy and you owed a lot of money, including to the Falcons. You could have gone the easy route and filed chapter seven and had a lot of those debts go away, but you chose to file chapter 11 and you paid back the millions of dollars. What led you to take the harder road? Because, Michael, a lot of people would have just said, you know what, I'm taking the easy way, and, and you know, I've had a rough last few years. I'm I'm going to go that route. Well, I believe God has a plan for everyone, and, you know, everyone's life is going to be different. There's no similarities. You might go through the same things that another person go through. Uh, you know, there's millions of people who filed bankruptcy, um, you know, throughout the you know, you know this world, and you know even in a lifetime, you know you go through so much money, and you, you feel like you know you, you learn, you learn how to spend it, you learn how to save it, and I just knew, you know, God had a purpose for my life. It, it'll be an opportunity for me to, 
pay back the people that I owe and, you know, still have some money, you know, left over for myself and my family. So, you know, it was a big decision to make, you know, as far as, you know, Chapter 7, Chapter 11, 13, whatever made the most sense. You know, I was just like, listen, if I get another chance to step back on the field and, you know, get a chance to take another snap, then I can go back and do it all over again. And I told my wife that on various occasions, you know, all I need is another opportunity. And listen, even the people on my bankruptcy didn't expect to get paid all that money back. You know, it's by the grace of God they got paid all that money back. Uh, so, you know, I'm just thankful that, that I still had the ability, to still had the, the the competence to go out and execute Andy Reid's offense, which was tough, and win games and have fun, you know, and you know, make the city of Philadelphia happy, you know, for a short period of time. It seemed like you always had fun when you were on the field at Virginia Tech and with the Atlanta Falcons, but I'd be lying if I said when I watched you play with Philadelphia, you seemed to have a joy that maybe was at a different level. Did you appreciate playing in the NFL and just being back on a football field in a different way post-prison than you did before? Yeah, every time I stepped on the field in Philadelphia, it just felt like a dream come true. Um, and, you know, I just wanted the game not to be 60 minutes. I wish it was 80 minutes. You know, I wish they were longer. You know, I enjoyed the preparation throughout the week. Um, you know, being with my teammates, you know, spending more time with them, uh, getting to know them, um, not necessarily hanging out with my boys and my friends all the time, you know, spending time with the guys who sacrificed as much as me. And uh, it really changed the way I felt about the game of football. Um, I think those experiences now, you know, will have a long, everlasting impact on the way I feel about the game of football and the people uh, who I was around at the time. And, you know, my love for the game grew stronger. And that's why, you know, being an analyst is, is you know, extremely uh, gratifying. It's important. I love talking about the game. I love being around the game. I still love playing the game, not getting tackled, but, um, <laughs> you know, just watching, you know, every Sunday feels like a Sunday when I was younger, when I was playing. And, you know, it's those moments, you know, being in Philadelphia really changed me, you know, just as a person, not as a football player. One more thing before we get into some of the things that you're doing now. The other area where I have huge respect for you is you didn't just get out and say, I'm going to do things with the Humane Society and I'm going to you know, do all these things and then not do them. You didn't just get out and say those things to placate people. You have saved hundreds of animals' lives since you released from prison. You've worked with the Humane Society. You publicly supported the Animal Fighting Spectator Prohibition Act, which makes it a federal yeah. crime to attend an organized animal fight. That was signed into law by President Obama in February 2014. So you came yeah. out and you've really impacted some laws and some things to help animals, and that's got to make you feel good. And, and again, to someone like myself, I look at that and go, he's walking the walk. Yeah, it was great, man, to to be able to be involved in, in, in politics and, and help change laws uh, pertaining to, you know, animal welfare was something that I didn't set out to do um, when when I was in prison. But, you know, I always wanted to, you know, help more animals than I hurt. So um, I felt like when, when that happened and I went to Capitol Hill, it was really taking a big step. Uh, it was a really, uh, it was really a great opportunity for me to, uh, you know, be on the center stage and say, okay, 
you know, this is an opportunity to make change, not for the rest of the world, um, you know, and, and not only for myself, you know, but, you know, for the people who believed in me. And we worked really, really hard to pass those laws and get them pushed through, you know, through Congress and, and you know, to get them signed off by President Obama. Uh, and, and, it, and it happened. And, you know, even when that happened, I, you know, I, I could have been complacent and, and, you know, been satisfied. But, you know, just don't stop there. I think, you know, in life, you know, just the lifetime of, of, of memories and the things that, that you can be impactful in, um, you know, always be memories that you can, you can have and take to the bank. And, you know, those are things that I'm extremely proud of, um, you know, more so than, than, than scoring a touchdown or throwing a touchdown pass. You know, the things that I, you know, that I was, you know, really passionate about, I was able to get accomplished. And once again, it wasn't, you know, by myself. It was through the help of Wayne Pacelli from the, the president of the Humane Society and, and, you know, all the people who supported me at that time. But they really helped me, um, you know, accomplish that dream and making that happen. And, you know, like I said, that's something I can I can take to the grave with. Now, it's amazing, and, and you should be very, very proud of that. So on June twelfth, 2017, you retired as an Atlanta Falcon. You now are doing a number of things. Uh, one is, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, you're wa- working with Fox Sports as an NFL analyst. You're actually working with one of my close friends, Colin Cowherd, who I've known for a, <laughs> a long time. <laughs> He's a funny dude, isn't he? Yes, he is. Very smart, funny dude, too. <laughs> yeah, very smart. And he seems to really like you, too. So, uh, that's great. But, you know, you said at our event, and it's true, you've got all this knowledge bottled up inside of you. It's great that you're able to share it with an audience now. Yeah, I think, man, being able to sit, you know, next to Colin and next to Tony and, and, you know, Carissa and, you know, Coach, we, you know, we developed a bond that, you know, that I think will last a lifetime. And, uh, you know, we put a lot of hard work into to last season, man. We had great ratings and, you know, we had fun and, and being able to share insight on, you know, on the game of football, the quarterback position, you know, learning so much, you know, offensively, defensively, uh, is, is nothing that I haven't seen before. And, you know, it's almost like a gift to know exactly what's going on on the field um, without even having to play it. And, you know, I love the game so much. I, just, I watch it, you know, day in and day out throughout the season, you know, um, Sunday, Monday, Thursday, um, and even catch up on some college football too. But, yeah, man, just to be able to do that was a blessing. Um, always wanted to do it, but didn't see it coming last year. And it happened really, really fast, and I was kind of thrown into the fire, but you know, just the cast helped me grow more and more comfortable as the year went on. And, you know, hopefully that is something that I can do for for a long time because I, I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, and you're good at it. And and I like, you can tell when people have a chemistry, and you guys definitely have a good chemistry. So I hope that team is able to uh, stay together. Something else you're doing, American Flag Football League starts June 30th. Uh, they're going to air live on the NFL Network. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to try and catch Michael Vick playing flag football, though. Yeah, well, you know what, man? Flag, I, won't, I won't run around as much as I did when I played. Um, you know, I'm going to just show everybody that I still got the cannon. I still <laughs> throw the football around. You know, I, I trained my daughter. She's a flag football quarterback. 
Um, so she helped me keep my arm in shape. I help her keep her arm in shape, and you know, I'm gonna show her how to play the game. And so I'm looking forward to it, man. It's just another way to stay in shape, still work out, you know, as much as I can. You know, play more golf than I do working out. But um, yeah, just having a chance to go and play flag football, you know, two or three times out the year, man. Um, you know, still still keeps me around the game. You know, and, and even working with the AAF. You know, last American football. You know, being able to coach it too, man. I I got, you know, I got it all. I got a three and one. You know, so I get to enjoy football all the way across the board. That's great. And with uh, the AAF, isn't uh, Brad Childress is the head coach there, right? Yeah, Brad Childress is the head coach, and he's going to do a phenomenal job. He's facilitating everything right now. We're getting, you know, our coaching staff in place, and you know, we'll start getting our players together, round it up really, really soon, and. uh you know, we're looking forward to going and winning the championship. You know, that, that's the only reason why we're in it. So that season kicks off February 9th, 2019. What do you think of some of these? So, you know, NFL is king, but you've got the leagues that you're a part of. The XFL has popped up. What do you think about some of these other leagues that are popping up in, in competition with the NFL? Well, I, I don't think it's, it's competition with the NFL. Um I don't think any league will ever be able to compare to the National Football League. You think about the history, you know, they've come a long way um, just in the years passing. So, you know, the NFL always be, you know, top echelon. Um, the AAF will be a complementary league to the NFL. Uh, obviously, yeah, guys will, will be able to play, and hopefully they play well and be able to move on to the NFL. That's the, that's the goal. And I think the NFL will accept them. It's just another opportunity for them to gain more experience and uh, get more snaps, you know, without having to go elsewhere. So we want this to be a complimentary league where these guys, um, you know, they play well. You know, they have a chance to fulfill their dream. And, um, you know, if they do, then we'll be the first to congratulate them. So you're 37 now. I saw you do an interview recently, and you said you can still do a 4-5 in the 40. True. <laughs> yeah, I'll be blowing smoke when I say that, man. I don't know. You know, I had ankle surgery last year, but I tell you what, if I got in shape, you know, the sky's the limit on what I could do. Um, yeah, my wife looking at me right now, like, yeah, right. But listen, I can do whatever I put my mind to, and I, I'm gonna stand by that. Well, you have certainly shown that. How's your golf game? Golf game's pretty good, man. I, um. You know, I want to be a 70s golfer consistently, but, you know, as of right now, everything's like 80, between 80 and 85. So, you know, I know I know what the problem is, you know, in, in any sport, you got to practice, and I don't practice enough. So, you know, I just think I can go out and hit it and, and, and play well, but that's not the case because every golf course requires a different shot and it allows you to, and you have to think differently. So, that's part of the challenge, man, but that's what keeps me going. Well, that's what keeps me competitive right now. That's fun. Uh, a few other things you're doing. You've got your V7 clothing, v7clothing.com. I know you're working with Traditions. You've got a line of V7 clothing in partnership with Virginia Tech. Tell us about that yeah. line. Uh, uh, V7 clothing is is something that, you know, we're taking one step at a time, Um you know, we want to make it exclusive. We want to continue to grow. I think, you know, getting the opportunity to develop an account with Virginia Tech uh, was something that was never done before by a player. 
and, and uh, a collegiate program. So I think we broke a barrier with that. Um, but just looking forward to expanding the brand, you know, moving slow, not taking it, you know, not trying to do it all in one day uh, or, or, or one month. Um, you know, we want to gradually pace ourselves and make sure that we're doing it right, not stepping on anyone's toes. I'm still, uh, you know, connected with, with, with Nike. Um, and, you know, that partnership is a partnership, I think, that'll last for a lifetime. But they gave me the liberty to, to go out and, uh, you know, grow V7. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited as far as, you know, where I'm at now and the team that I've been able to develop um, to go out and execute and, and make V7 product, um, you know, a, a really, really good product. So I'm thankful that Virginia Tech got on board. Um, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for them and there's nothing that they wouldn't do for me. So uh, they helped kickstart it and I'm excited about the partnership. So v7clothing.com, another friend that we share mutually. I'm based in Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, headquarters where Nike is. And Ralph Green is a good friend of mine. And I know you and Ralph uh, yeah. go way back, too. So uh, Ralph was excited to see you at my event a few weeks ago in uh, in New York and uh, said, hey, you got my guy there. So uh, that's cool. I know that you and Ralph have a good relationship. Uh, your team, yeah, Vic, found do. it. Team Vic Foundation. I know you're relaunching that too. I know your work in the community is a big part of what you do and, and a big part of your legacy. And I know you have kids now. So, what is Team Vic going to be doing in, in the future? Well, the same thing that I've been doing um, the last three or four years without uh, the foundation being established. We had the Team Vic Foundation and we, we uh, did some minor community events and you know, made some minor donations back then, but I'm really looking forward to taking Team Vic Foundation to the next level. Um, and primarily, you know, not only working all across the world, but, um, you know, in Virginia, where, where, where my hometown, where I'm from, um, Atlanta, you know, where I got roots, and Philadelphia, where I got roots, and, you know, and, and working in cities where, you know, we feel like we can, we can have a major impact. Uh, just on helping, you know, not only young kids, but people in general, um, you know, dream their dream, uh, get opportunities that they thought they would never have. And, uh, you know, we're going to work tirelessly to try to, you know, get as many people involved, as many donations as we can, give out as much money as we can, and uh, help make an impact in the community. And, you know, I've been doing it for the last three or four years with my camps and just, uh, you know, really giving back. So, you know, why not establish it, make it big and make it grow? Uh, something that, you know, my kids can, you know, be a part of, you know, for a lifetime. And maybe I'll be running my foundation one day, you know, when I'm, when, when I'm dead and gone. So that leads to my last question. When it's all said and done, you've been through a lot. You're 37. You've been through a lot. When it's all said and done, how do you want people to remember Michael Vick? I'll let them decide on that. You know, I, I, don't know how people will perceive me based on a couple of different situations and scenarios that took place in my life. Um, I won't use my background and my upbringing as an excuse. Um, you know, just judge me based on my character, based on, um, you know, what you see. You know, um, a lot of people would probably never get to know me. They'd probably hear me talking in interviews and see me on Fox on Sundays and, you know, coaching with the AAF and playing with the AAFL. You know, but... Um, you know, just judge me based on my character, based on what you see, um, and, and and not on, you know, not on, you know, one or two 
uh, different situations that may have happened that could, you know, that were a detriment, you know, to my life. Um, you know, I grew from it, and um, you know, I, I think you know, just um, you know, growing and and being able to put that behind me and move forward, you know, with the help of my my family and the people around me, um, really made me the person I am today. But you know, I'm only 37. I turned 38 this month, and you know, still got a lot of life to live. So we won't stop. So they probably won't be making that assumption or the determination on how they're going to perceive me for a lot of years to come. So I got a lot of work to do. So let me put the work in in between. Well, Michael, I got to tell you, your comeback is one of the great stories I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I had not met you until, you know, a few weeks ago, I had heard lots of different things and you're the real deal and you're genuine and you're no, you're you're I would vouch for you for anything. I really think your ability to be reflective and to own your past and to walk the walk and do better going forward. It's unlike many things I've seen in my life. So uh, congratulations to you. I'm glad that you're surrounded with really good people. Now, Latonya is fantastic. And uh, she's awesome. Yeah, I just think you're you're doing great things. Uh, have fun with my buddy Colin Coward and doing all your things with football. And uh, you know, I don't know you, but I'm going to say I'm proud of you. I, I think you've done a really nice job with everything, and uh, I hope we get to cross paths again in the future. Yeah, I hope so, man. You got my number. If you ever think I'm slipping and not doing it right, <laughs> give me a call. All <laughs> right, that's Michael Vick. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. And thanks again to our new sponsor, SeedGeek. Just download the SeedGeek app and enter the promo code SBR as in Sports Business Radio today. That's promo code SBR for $20 off your first SeedGeek purchase. Thanks to our friends at MKTG. You can find them on Twitter at MKTG. Their website is MKTG.com. 
They're a global lifestyle marketing agency, 33 offices in 19 countries, a leading sports sponsorship and activation agency. Make sure to check them out at mktg.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at sportsbusinessradio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business. Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. You're the man, Barrett. My guest is tennis icon Chris Everett. He was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.